Welcome to the Liberty Mom Show, part of the Loving Liberty Network. We're excited that you would join us today. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their children, their families, and their communities. And uh, today, I'm Chris Kimball. I'm hosting, and I'm excited to have with me today uh, Lou Moore, who is joining me as my special guest. And uh, Lou has is part of SecureVoteUtah.org. But he's been um, behind this initiative that is moving forward in Utah to help secure our votes for future elections. You know, there's nothing that is that needs more security and more um, more watchful eyes looking at than our voting process, because you can look around the world and see in different countries around the world where elections have been um, fraudulently handled and it's been the demise of the country. Venezuela is one that comes to uh, my recent mind. But I want to give you a little bit of uh, background about Lou Moore. He is basically, he became a political plug at an early age. And I would say five years old is very, very early. So staying up half the night watching the 1960 Kennedy-Nixon election results. So imagine that, a five-year-old being involved like that. In 1964, he doorbelled with his mother, who happened to be a precinct chair captain for Barry Goldwater. Lou was an adjunct facility member teaching American history at Western Washington University when he started doing politics politics professionally. So he started at the young age of five and then went into a career in politics. He served as chief of staff from, for Congressman Jack Metcalf, who was a Republican from Washington State. Lou was the executive director of the Northwest Straits Marine Conservation Initiative when he helped form the 2008 presidential campaign of Ron Paul, which um, already right there, that's uh, lets me know that we are like-minded when he is um, helping to get Ron Paul elected as president. In June of 2007, he joined Dr. Paul's paid staff as national campaign manager and remained in that position until the campaign ended. Since then, Lou has done business, governmental, and political consulting and served for three years as the president and CEO of the Washington Research Council. He moved to Provo, Utah in 2018, where his focus has been on historical research. Lou Moore has been a student of politics and American populism since the 70s. His first book, Forerunner, The Unlikely Role of Ron Paul, describes the populist forces unleashed by the Paul campaign that ultimately resulted in the victory of Donald Trump in 2016. He is currently serving as director of Secure Vote Utah, a ballot initiative to return the state to paper ballots counted in neighborhood precincts, which is the core of the election process before it was uh, been changed and centralized and 
thrown into a computer where we don't have access to those ballots anymore. So, Lou, I, as I read through your bio, I, I have to agree that I really think Ron Paul was really the, a, a platform, the, the groundswell for a Donald Trump to come forward. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, there might be some controversy about that. Other people, uh, you know, a lot of people like to take credit for things in politics. But, I mean, the truth is we had people all, all around the country who were concerned about endless wars, uh, illegal immigration, and trade deals that disadvantage America. And uh, Ron talked about those three things in every speech he gave. I'm not saying he's just like Donald Trump or that they have no. the same views, uh, but – those things galvanize people, those three issues, and, and, and the authenticity of the messenger being Ron, uh, galvanized people like you cannot believe. It was still a fairly small faction of the population at that time. But as we saw with the Tea Party, as we saw as things developed, that became a much larger part of the population. And that gave uh, President Trump the opportunity to be our president in 2016. Yeah, and I would agree. I wouldn't say that they definitely aren't the same people at all, and um, they don't even necessarily have the same um, political thought process, but it's the populist movement. I remember being at an event. Um, it was the Value Voters Summit back in Washington, D.C., uh, so it would have been uh, during the 2012 election cycle, and Ron Paul, I mean, his supporters, they won the straw poll there. I mean, all of these um, people that had shown up to, they had all of the presidential candidates um, speaking. And uh, it was interesting because even Mitt Romney at the time when he was running, he, he showed up. And this should have been his, I mean, these are conservative, God, religious, God-fearing people at Value Voter Summit. They're very, they're Christian-based. He would not stick around to talk to anybody. He was out of there as soon as he was off stage. He did not want to talk to anybody in that group. But Ron Paul supporters were there in force. And even back in 2012, Ron Paul went on the straw poll at that particular gathering of the presidential um, candidates that were running during that time. Well, early in uh, the campaign that, that I was involved with in 2008, we were at the Reagan Library that had a big debate. There was like 11 candidates there. This is very early in the process. And I'm leaving uh, with the campaign chair in a vehicle. We, we turned the radio on and the, uh, I think it was CBS, a, re- a reporter recites the polling, the, the uh, establishment polling. They said, oh, and Ron Paul, he's under 1%. And then the news came in of who won the online poll that they uh, were doing uh, of the debate and Ron got like 60% <laughs> of oh. the vote. <laughs> so he had wow. to announce that right after he had uh, said that Ron was at 1%. In the polls, but that was kind of the beginning of a real explosion. Uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it, this populist movement that we still see continue today, because even uh, with the results of what happened in 2020, which is where we're going today with our secure vote, Utah.org, but um, people aren't really satisfied with what happened in 2020. And there was definitely some um, problems. Uh, what's interesting is Utah refuses to think that there's any problems in Utah. They think it's everywhere else, but that Utah has the gold standard, yet there's never been an audit. There's never been a forensic audit, let's put it that way, a forensic audit that can be um, held 
with evidence in court by an independent source, outside source, to look at what happens during an election process to make sure every ballot was counted once and that they were securely um, held during the election cycle. Yeah, well, um, you, you talk perception that our uh, leaders have of themselves and of the election process here. But then you uh, look at experts that are looking at it from the outside, like the Heritage Foundation, a fairly establishment organization. Uh, They've just put out a a rating on election integrity of of all of the 50 states. You at 41st, 41st out of 50. Uh, I wouldn't uh, that's not a score to be proud of. I don't, you know, I think their score was 47%. I mean, if your kid comes home from school and they just took a test and they got 47%, I don't think they're going to be bragging about that. Doesn't sound like a gold standard, Lou. I mean, that's what, yeah, no. that's what no, and the, the council of state. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's what Lieutenant Governor Henderson keeps telling us is that Utah's the gold standard, but yet an outside source looking at our election laws and how we handle our our election process is giving us this very low F failing sort of score. So it doesn't really shine a very good light on Utah. No, it doesn't. And, you know, they're not the only ones. In 2020, the uh, National Council of State Legislators and uh, CSL, known by involved in the legislative uh, business around the country, uh, they rated Utah as a non-strict system as far as voter ID. They did a report just on voter ID. Uh, you know, we're not rated high there. Uh, the, the big presidential commission at 2005 that, that they had, uh, uh, Jimmy Carter and James Baker, uh, neither of whom I'm big fans of, but they chaired this commission. They had hundreds of political scientists and all kinds of people uh, talking about the election system, this is in the wake of uh, George Bush's win that went to the Supreme Court in 2000. But uh, uh, when you got to vote by mail, which hmm, happens to be the system we have, uh, they said three things. Uh, they, they, they said that there is no evidence in general elections that it increases participation. Uh, they said uh, that it, there were significant privacy issues with vote by mail. And they said that it, uh, you know, it creates an environment likely to produce fraud at some point. So, you know, what Utah did was exactly the opposite of what a whole gathering of bipartisan uh, experts uh, suggested they do in 2005. You know, we've gone completely the wrong way and we keep going the wrong way. You know, now they're talking about voting on the Internet and every other thing. So, so. Right, right. They want to double down and create these systems where our votes are at risk, you know, when you start putting things online. You know, it's interesting because I've been involved in the legislative process and for a period of time, and it used to be that the Democrats were the ones that were always trying to change the way we voted. And they would stop in the legislature. They just wouldn't go very far. They try to get same-day voting registration, all these things that open the door to fraud. And... Once they shifted their strategy, and I don't know which outside group influenced the Republicans, but the Republicans started running these bills. In fact, Deidre Henderson herself is one that um, ran a bill to change some of our election laws and make them, you know, they try to say it's more uh, accessible to vote when anytime they're saying it's more accessible to vote, it's also more accessible for fraud. So the the shift shifted the 
change shifted to the Republicans running uh, this legislative uh, changes. And for some reason, with the Republicans sponsoring bills, it brought the Republicans on board and they started making these changes to our voting system in Utah. So we are where we are today. I mean, we, uh, we put ourselves in this place to open the door to have our voting system manipulated. And it can be done many ways. We saw in 2020, I, for one, what I noticed, and this probably ties into the motor voter registration and, and uh, that you were referencing, but I was making calls for a candidate that was running in my house district. And I noticed that some of these individuals that I was calling or trying to reach out to, one was 112, one was 105. And I'm like, well, there's a good chance these people aren't alive, okay? I thought it was all that clean living that goes on in Utah, huh? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, But those individuals were being sent a ballot. and, And so the likelihood that that individual was even able to cast a vote is questionable. And yet a ballot went to a door and what happened to that ballot? You know, did somebody vote for that person? That's voter fraud. You can't vote for someone else. You can only vote for yourself. And so at right there, I knew that there were problems with universal ballots just being mailed out willy nilly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the purpose of our organization is not to say, oh, there's rampant fraud all over the state of Utah. You know, that's actually, that kind of thing is actually pretty hard to prove. And, you know, you talked about having a full forensic audit. That's the only way to really even start to get at it. And you have to do the canvassing and everything else. But uh, what we're saying is, is regardless of the truth of what happened here in 2020 and 2018, we are setting the table. We're setting up a climate where we are going to be totally vulnerable to massive centralized voter fraud at some point. And the a counter argument uh, of we're from the government, trust us. I mean, that's contrary to, uh, you know, what the founders uh, taught us and every other wise political person from then till now. So what has secure vote SecureVoteUtah.org, what is, what's your initiative? What are you wanting to do? Yeah, I mean, well, we have one purpose, and that is uh, to, to put a law on the ballot, an initiative, an initiative to the people that would recenter our whole voting system away from vote by mail, away from machine counting, to uh, voting in person in the precinct, in, in, a, in your local precinct, in your neighborhood, and then having those votes counted right there, which is a system that was, this is not some wild idea, this is the system Utah had for decades. And then starting in the 80s, they started chipping away at it. And it took quite a while before we got to where we are now. You were just talking about that. But this is a proven system. And no, it's not high tech. Uh, it's people counting where observers can watch them count. You know, you, uh, I, I went to uh, Utah County. Clerk was very gracious. Uh, he let me come in. We were researching this. We watched quote-unquote, the vote count uh, for a period of time during the primary uh, last June here in Utah County. And, uh, you know, you go in a room, there's nice people there with badges on, there's all these machines whirling around, and you don't have a clue what they're doing. I mean, you're not watching a vote count, but uh, 
our system, an observer is actually observing real boats being counted, being tabulated. And so then, and what would happen at the end of the evening, not two weeks later, is that um, the uh, election judges uh, would sign an affidavit as to what the count was for all the different races and uh, would immediately issue that directly to the public, as well as report to the election officials. So you have another check and balance there in terms of aggregating, you know, the votes that come from all over, uh, you know, whichever district, whatever size jurisdiction you're talking about. So to me, that is a fantastic system. And they would even be counting the absentee ballots, which people would be allowed to cast if they have a legitimate reason and are willing to sign a sworn affidavit to say they have a legitimate reason. Uh, and that would be one time they would have to apply again in the next election cycle uh, if th- that came up again. But those ballots would also be taken to the precinct and would have to be in early enough that they could be delivered. So even those votes would be counted in the neighborhood. So it wouldn't be eliminating uh, a need, there might be a need that might arise during election cycle where you aren't going to physically be there the night of the of the vote, mm-hmm. and and so then you could you could go ahead and uh, apply to get an absentee ballot and have it mailed to you, showing proof of who you are and what your reason is. So it's not that that part is being eliminated; it's just the part where the government is making a decision to just mail a ballot to anybody, and we. I'm pretty sure that most people, when they move, whether it's across town or across country, one of the low-level priority things on their list is, oh, I need to update my voting records. Like, nobody does it. I mean, we've had it here. And when I was up in Davis County, we had somebody move from Salt Lake to Davis County, want to run for office, and this individual never registered in the party. She stayed registered in Salt Lake County, which made her ineligible because you have to participate in the election of where you live currently. And see, people just don't, yeah, people don't realize that if you move, then you're not, that old address is not um, valid anymore because you're now in a new address and you're in a new ledge district and you have different people to vote for. And so um, I like this idea because Anybody within that precinct, if they wanted to be a helper and a poll watcher, could participate in their precinct, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what so, you would have, your, your basic setup would be you would have uh, what they call three uh, receiving judges that are the ones that are uh, there receiving people when they come in to vote, and then three counting judges who would be uh, at that same location with observers. That would re- in in lots of twenty. As soon as they get twenty ballots, they're uh, they're taken to the other room. They switch the the vote uh, ballot boxes. They're taken to the other room and counted. And that goes on all through the day. This is something that was done for many years. Uh, the people who are in that room are sworn to secrecy, and there's significant penalties if they violate that. But they count all through the day. So when you get that big rush, uh, uh, you know, in the evening. Uh, most of the votes are already counted. And then you count those votes, even if it's after 8 o'clock. Uh, and, uh, and then you pretty much are able to get a total, depending on the size of the ballot, very soon after that. But you, okay. they stay and count. So it might be late at night, early in the morning. But uh, like Nixon and Kennedy in 1960, I mean, I've thought about that. When I was a little kid, that, that, that race, 
was decided with a less than 100,000 margin across the 50 states. But it was decided like at three in the morning, three in the morning uh, Pacific time. I was in California at that time. It didn't go on for th- a month. Uh, you know, that's crazy. Right. And, that, and all kinds of chicanery and shenanigans can happen with, with all of that delay time. Uh, and ballots still coming in and not knowing how many ballots are out there and all these things that, that, that we've observed and that coming from Washington state, I've observed for 20 years because we've had vote by mail there uh, uh, highly encouraged since the late nineties and uh, a system similar to the one here in Utah was started in 2004. And uh, one other thing I'll, just real quickly, um, I have a very direct experience with the results of this. Um, I worked in 2004 for a man by the name of Dino Rossi. He was running for governor in the state of Washington. I believe he lost by 42 votes statewide. That's out of like 3 million ballots cast. Wow. And that took a month for Seattle to overcome his three, uh, like 3,000 vote margin, they just kept finding, kept finding, kept finding ballots until he finally, in December, lost by 42 votes, as close as the slimmest margin of any uh, gubernatorial race in the history of the country. It's been written about by a lot of people, but, you know, I'm thinking, what is going on here? And right, what so- have we gotten ourselves into? Yeah, so you're going from the first Tuesday in November to December before they can actually count all the ballots. And get them all done. Yeah, which opens the door for, wow, we just discovered new ballots. Wow, we found more ballots. Yeah, ballots have to be turned in on election day and counted that day, that same day, to alleviate those kind of shenanigans. And um, we've seen that even here in Utah in the fourth congressional district race Mm -hmm. for the last few cycles where this two-week turnaround, it takes two weeks two weeks to figure out the vote. That's ridiculous. Okay. And, and there's this holding pattern and Salt Lake releases some and then Utah County releases some. And it's like, Oh, how many, yeah, there's just too much manipulation. It needs to all have, I mean, other States did it in one night. I mean, Florida had theirs, their count done. Sure. And, and, you know, there will be, even under our system, there'll be a few votes that come in late. Because if people are overseas or they're on a mission or military, I mean, sometimes things get fouled up in getting ballots to the United States. But the overwhelming majority of ballots will have to be in uh, before Election Day uh, in order to for them to be properly processed and get out to the precinct. So, uh, you know, that's going to be very few ballots, if any, at that point. Well, I want to talk about uh, the initiative. We, we're um, going to take a, a, a short break here in just a few minutes, but we're going to get into exactly um, what the, the game plan is for this initiative because we need a lot of Utahns who have the same desire moving forward. We want to make sure our elections are secure. And this is not a party issue. When I went down um, in Arizona, uh, Nevada doing some canvassing, Democrats were on board with us trying to clear up their voter fraud in in Clark County. So we're going to be back here in just a quick minute. Stay with us. We're talking with Lou Moore on voter security in Utah.
Welcome back to the Liberty Mom Show. Chris Kimball hosting today and talking about secure elections in Utah with Lou Moore of SecureVoteUtah.org. And our our conversation uh, has been kind of focused on the problems that we've had with elections in Utah. And the the emphasis we want to put on this is going forward, we want to make sure that our elections are secure. And they have, um, Lou and others have come together through um, SecureVoteUtah.org, and they've put together an initiative. An initiative is a, um, a way for the people to have a say in the legislative process, I guess is the best way to do it. Because normally we're a republic, and we elect our we elect representatives to serve us in our legislative body, whether it's in the House or in the Senate. And uh, But if they're not doing the will of the people, then there is an option for the, the voters in Utah to put forward um, legislation that they would like to see take place. And that is done through the initiative process. And so, Lou, what exactly are you doing with this initiative? And how can the people in Utah help this happen okay so um so we uh crafted a piece of legislation the secure boat act of 2022 and that is what uh and that is what we want the people to vote on uh, in the general election in uh november of 2022 uh in order to do that uh we have to go through a review process which is what we're in right now with the lieutenant governor who is the regulator in charge of elections and in charge of uh, initiatives to the people. And uh, uh, that process, uh, I am told, is going to be ending uh, by the 26th, which is Sunday. So probably on the 27th, uh, she will be issuing uh, a uh, template for what has to be, and it has to be exact, what will be in a petition packet, because it, not, it doesn't just have a place for you to sign and say, I like this. It actually has to have the law in there. And uh, because our election code has become very complicated and is multiplied by about six times its length in the 1950s, uh, it, it took 84 pages to unwind a lot of it. A lot of it is strikeouts. I mean, it's not our, our language is not 84 pages, but between what we are removing and what we're adding, it does come to that rather large number of pages. So anyway, um, uh, well, uh, and then we'll be printing these packets, and then uh, we hope uh, uh, just before New Year's we will have petitions available for people. Uh, together uh, names of registered voters in Utah, and we'll have until February 15th uh, to do this, and, and we will need about 150,000 signatures. Uh, the, the technical number we need is 8% of the registered voters at the first of, uh, of this year, of January 2021, and that's um, 100, about 138,000. And uh, but you always need more signatures than uh, uh, than a requirement for a variety of reasons. So um, at least one hundred fifty thousand uh, signatures. Normally, uh, you know, smart political people and a couple of consultants have told me. Uh, you know, I used to be a consultant, <laughs> political consultant myself, but but uh, they've told me that uh, that's impossible. You can't 
you have to pay two or three million dollars to all these paid gatherers, and they usually only get a couple people an hour because the people are, don't know about it. But I think this is quite a different situation. Uh, everywhere we go, people are very concerned about this election process. And I'm not saying all the citizens are, but, you know, we're looking for 8% of the registered voters. It's not even close to the number of people I think have this concern. And uh, we went beyond just uh, going through the various communities we're from to ask people. Um, I brought in Richard Barris, who if anybody, any of your listeners uh, watch Steve Bannon War Room, he's on there all the time. But uh, uh, Richard is, I think, the most accurate pollster in America today. His record just been phenomenal the last couple of years. And uh, he found that when people are explained, when people get an explanation, very brief explanation of our current system and all the pluses that it's supposed to have. And what we want to do, uh, we have like 85% of the public willing to go back to this, to the system we had in this state because they want security more than convenience. And, uh, and some people might think they do, but really they love the convenience and all that. But I mean, uh, you can shave a lot of numbers off of 88% and still have plenty of people to vote for this. And a ton of people uh, in that group that would sign a petition. So we think we can do that in six weeks. You know, that's a, that's an amazing number, 85%, because we were sold all of these, oh, we, can, we need to make it convenient or people won't vote. We've got to, we've got to make it convenient. So we have made it so convenient by just putting it into your mailbox, and it still did not increase voter turnout. I know up in Davis County, one of the first counties where they piloted the vote by mail, they saw a small increase on the initial elections. And then after a few cycles, it settled back down again to where it was before. And so I love, I love these numbers. 85% of people, when they are explained how um, the security, how important it is to have the security over the convenience, want to have the security, I think that's going to be um, an easy sell, especially when you only need 8% of the voters. And then that's in 8%, though, in 26 of the 29 counties. So you can't have like 100,000 out of Salt Lake County, right? It has That's to- correct. And it's kind of a tricky number there, too, Chris. So it's 8% of the total number of voters. And that's the number I just cited for you. But within that number, you have to have 8% in 26 of 29 senatorial districts. Uh, this system, they do not make easy. This is uh, got a lot of hoops uh, to go through. Uh, but anyway, well, well, we believe we can do that. And if I could address briefly, because this is the biggest argument they use, is that we have to have vote by mail. We have to have better, uh, you know, to get higher turnout. Uh, people won't come if it isn't convenient, as you just said, this is manifestly false. I mean, I was called out, as I mentioned earlier, it was called out in this presidential commission in 2005. They could find no evidence of this for general elections. Uh, you know, uh, vote by mail has helped some special elections, some off-year elections, that, that just that convenience will get people to go out. Unfortunately, it might take that to get them to a school board election. But in presidential and congressional elections, the general election, there's no evidence of it. And turnout has increased. Statistically, it's increased in Utah, and it's increased in every other state in the last few years, whether they have vote by mail or not, because what does bring people out are candidates that have sharper positions 
then, you know, it, I mean, this whole system got more and more homogenized and everybody's trying to say the same things and go to the middle and appeal to all these people. A lot of studies have been done on this. But the truth is that turned out as that started to happen, it just went down and down and down. But after 2000, as things got more partisan, as we hear all the time, turnout started going up and it's been going up since 2000, the election in 2000. And, I, you know, that's in states with vote by mail, states that are, don't have vote by mail. I mean, uh, you, you can't see a correlation with vote by mail and the increase in turnout. So it's just not true. But you hear it all the time and people assume that. But, you know, it's the worst thing in the world to think that, well, our, our, our citizens, uh, if it isn't super convenient and they can't be in the bathtub doing it on their phone or something, they, they're not going to vote. I mean, I think that's crazy. And even a crazier idea which our lieutenant governor seems to believe, is that if you put restrictions in for security reasons, that somehow people of color are like not smart enough to figure it out or something. I don't even understand this thinking. But, uh, you know, that's not true either. It doesn't suppress uh, the votes of of any group uh, uh, if you have reasonable practices, ones that are time-tested. And uh, and they do come out and vote when they feel strongly about something. That's what gets them out to vote, just like anybody else. You know, it's you know we have we're red state in name. We're red state as far as we have a Republican legislative body and we have a Republican governor. But yet their talking points, whenever they're trying to overcome this uh, idea of securing our votes in Utah, they sound just like Democrats. They sound just like the Democrat Party, and they're very condescending. They're, they actually think that people of color can't think, that they don't have the ability to make these decisions and to figure out how to get to a voting booth or to um, get to their neighborhood precinct. And that is, I, I, it's, it's shocking to see that they resort to those same kind of tactics here in Utah. Why not just let the idea, I mean, if I were somebody elected in office and I saw that 85% of the people want more security in their voting process, I would be inclined to move in that direction and try to make that effort to see if we can give the people what we want, what they want. Absolutely. Politicians. And that's, yeah. And then the, and the other argument you hear is that, Oh, this is all about Trump and, conspiracy theories and it's so wild and there's no way and all this people are not stupid and they understand that i mean if you leave your keys in your car every night because uh you don't have to find them in the morning to go to work i mean you can uh, those keys can sit in your car in in the driveway for a long time but at some point somebody's gonna steal your car you're setting up the conditions for somebody to steal your car this is exactly the same there could been the squeakiest cleanest election of all time uh, last year. And that doesn't mean that this system isn't going to produce a different result at some point. I mean, that's what we're saying. So to going forward, we just want to make sure our vote, which is the most sacred thing that we have to secure our rights in the, in our country is secure. That's all we want. That's all people wanting. And there's ways to do it. We used to do it quite well for decades and decades and decades and then, as you mentioned in the last segment, we brought in machine voting. And how, honestly, how can you count a, a, a ballot when it's being fed into a machine? You don't even, you're not even close enough to look at it. And, and 
really know how the machine counted it. It was fed in, but how do you know the result of how it was counted? You can't tell. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that every part of this system now is uh, trust me, just trust me. And, and, and me is fewer and fewer hands, more and more corporations getting involved as contractors because it's specialized in technology. Very few people, I mean, very few people, they're concerned about these voting machines and whatnot. Very few people on either side really understand anything about these machines. And that's, uh, and there's a reason for that. It's complicated. It takes specialists. I, I don't think we want to put our elections in the hands of specialists. We want to keep our elections in the hands of the people. And that's all. At the local level, in your local precinct where you know your neighbors for the most part, and you're there yourself if you want to, to be another set of eyes in the voting process and watching the count. So you can't get more germane or get grassroots or at a level. And, you know, when you do that, I don't know how, I'm trying to think how many precincts would be in the state of Utah. I'm just trying to guess. Um, I, believe, I believe it's 2,000 in the entire Is there 2,000? I, so I believe that's correct. Yeah. And if you have 2,000 little networks, headquarters, that makes it really difficult for somebody to go in and and do have any fraud go go play you know happen because you've got two thousand instead of one central even twenty nine counties can centrally you know when you've got the votes going at the county level there's only twenty nine of those you know and of course there's already uh, plans on the table people talking about making it more centralized and having it at the counties and you get into things like rank choice voting and other things where it gets more complicated uh, and uh, more and more and you know all the tabulation has to go on between the counties for for statewide offices there are people saying well wouldn't it just be easier to have it at the state capitol and at some point they'll say, "Wouldn't it be easier to just have it in Washington D.C.?" I mean, right? You know, and I'm going to emphasize this again, Chris. Nothing stays in one place. You know, even if this system today, with all of its flaws, was okay, was something we could live with, we're not going to have this system in a few years. We're going to have internet voting. We're going to have uh, uh, probably rank, you know, possibly ranked choice voting. They're pushing it very hard. And, you know, they don't always come to the people with a, a full, robust debate before they make these changes. I mean, the vote by mail was changed, my understanding, by changing one word in election code uh, from may to shall. And, uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there was a robust debate in this state about that. No. No, and what I like about this process is that you're taking the most fundamental issue and right that the people have about the vote. You're taking it right to the people instead of some bureaucrats or elected officials making these changes without the people. And, and they're saying, well, we, you know, even in this last election process with rate choice voting, the city hall, well, we had open public meetings, but most people aren't connected into city hall to know when to show up. And I know in this last process with rate choice voting, they only allowed one side to come and present the, the issue. They didn't have the counter and so they weren't even true public hearings because only one side of ranked choice voting was promoted, and that was the side that was had the paid lobbyists to show up. But um, so, what can people do? What when would this initiative be available for people to sign? 
Well, uh, uh, we believe we're at the mercy at the lieutenant governor's office, but she has uh, the law that she has to comply with. But we believe we'll have petitions before or by the first of the year. What we want people to do uh, is to right now go to our website, secureVoteUtah.org, and sign up so we can stay in touch with you. Uh, and make that commitment to sign the petition and hopefully uh, to volunteer to get others to sign, uh, to check out the resources we have uh, on the uh, website. We're going to have more, but we have like 10 reasons why vote by mail is not a good idea. Eight reasons why counting by hand is a good idea. Uh, You know, we have the uh, full text of the initiative. We have that poll I mentioned, and we have the whole poll. Not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, putting, I can't think of the word right now, uh, to uh, cherry pick. Been some, uh, I've been up late at night lately. <laughs> it's not a cherry pick poll. We have the whole thing, the methodology. It's all totally transparent. And uh, then if, if everybody would donate $5, $10, $1,000, no limits in this state on that, but we understand uh, people are pinched right now, but we, you know, if everybody pitches in a little bit, we need money to print petitions that are 55 pages long and, and other things, and then spread the word, uh, network in the organizations you're in, uh, talk to your neighbors, talk to your family, and, uh, and then ask them to do the same thing you've done is go to our website, sign up, and then uh, we, will be, uh, we will be keeping in close touch uh, we haven't been communicating that much with folks through the website up till now because we haven't had a clear path of, of the dates involved. But, uh, uh, you know, we've told them January 1 to February 15 is the rough time window, but that's going to change. We're going to be having updates very frequently as this gets close to launching. So the, the petition drive, I mean. Well, you mentioned how a lot of it is resting in the lieutenant governor's hands right now, and that makes me kind of nervous because – she was required by law to turn over some voting uh, records to the legislature a few months ago, and she refused to do that, which was violating state law. So I'm hoping that she will follow the law and um, proceed in a timely manner with what you're doing with this initiative. So It's a little nervous to have our regulator blasting us in the Salt Lake Tribune and all over the state in the, you know, generally, uh, I'm more familiar with the Secretary of State system, and they generally, generally do not comment on initiatives and things like that, that they are in charge of processing and regulating. But anyway, I'm not making any accusations. I'm just saying she's in charge, but she has a very professional staff, a new election director I spent three hours with. He used to run the elections in Weber County, and uh, I don't know him very well, but he was very uh, forthcoming with us and gave us a lot of good background information. He's our election director, so I, I don't want to make any accusations. But, uh, no, I was not happy about the comments she made. Uh, you know, the, the governor talks about turn off cable TV, don't watch, don't go on Facebook. We have to quit name calling. We should be sharing ideas with each other. And then the next day, she blasts us and name calling and everything else. And then he does the same thing at his press conference. So, 
I don't know what to say about that, but I think we are over the target, Chris. I would suggest that. <laughs> well, Lou, welcome to Utah politics. <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> all, those, all those progressives up in Washington, they're playing patty cake compared to these folks, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's this passive aggressive, like, oh, we're, you know, we're good people. We've got, we're, we're church going. We're all that, but then right behind, we can be some of the worst in the country. I'm, I'm serious. The stuff that I see um, in this process. In fact, uh, I have a friend who wanted to move back to Utah, and he just doesn't want to be in the, the political climate here. It's, uh, you know, it's akin to D.C., like a D.C. swamp, you know. But, uh, well, I really appreciate uh, the work of uh, your organization. I know it's not just you. But uh, certainly not. No, there's five of us that had to sign this uh, petition, had to sign the application to put this forward. And uh, we got a bunch of folks now. Thank goodness. And we just need a lot more. and We'll get this done. Well, I'm excited about that. Well, Lou, thank you for taking time to um, speak with me today. And uh, I wanted to make sure our listeners were aware so that they can go to secureboteutah.org to uh, get onto your mailing list and also to uh, Kind of make a pledge that they're willing to sign up, right? They're willing. Absolutely, to- yeah. Just so we can stay in touch with them and uh, <clears throat> and uh, let them help us. We really appreciate it. I really appreciate the time with you today, Chris. Thank Great. You. Thank you, Lou. Thank All you. right. Well, um, we've just a couple of minutes left, and I do want to let our listeners know that there's a way for you to be proactive about this vote by mail process that we have in the state of Utah and. Without our input, the legislative body decided that from now on, our ballots would be sent in the mail. And we've learned, I don't know about you, but I know that I have things lost in the mail all the time. It's not the most secure way of dealing with ballots that are, that should be totally secure. And so you can be proactive yourself and have your, have your um, ballot stopped being sent to you in the mail. And for you to do that, you need to reach out to your county clerk. And again, you'll need to go online and figure out um, the county that you live in and just, you know, do a Google search for your local county election clerk. And um, we, we recommend that you do an email because for some reason, when they pass this law to uh, change May to shall and the, election clerks decided to start mailing out ballots, they didn't provide a form to reverse that. They didn't provide a form for us to be able to go online, fill out a form that says, I cancel my mail-in ballot. Please do not send it to me. And so they neglected to do that, but they do have to honor your request. And so if you send your county clerk an email that says, please stop mailing my ballot to me, and please respond that I know you've received this, then you have a paper trail that you can um, use to make sure that your ballots are not um, mailed to you and that the clerk has responded to you and has acknowledged that you want that stopped. Because right now, without us being uh, in a place where they told us I was never told that, hey, if you don't want your ballot, and that could have easily been printed on my first ballot, my first vote-by-mail ballot. At the very bottom, they could have said, if you no longer want your ballot mailed in the future, 
go to this website or call this phone number. That's all you'd have to do, right? But they neglected to do that. So now we have to be proactive and send them an email and make sure they respond with a uh, reply to you so that you know down the road because that way they know that people don't want ballots by mail anymore. Right now they think we're all happy and content getting a ballot mailed to us, and we're not. So that's one thing you can do that will make a difference in our elections process by us being more proactive. I want to thank all of you for listening today, and I make sure that you get to that website, secureboteutah.org, so that you can do your part to make sure our elections are secure in the future. Thank you for being with me today. This was the Liberty Mom Show on Loving Liberty Network. <music> 